Co-host Noman joining me once again. Good to see you, sir. Good to see you too. What's up, everybody? Hope everyone's doing well. Inshallah. Alhamdulillah. It's September. And uh, September, for those of us that don't know, is um, promoting National Suicide Prevention Month. Uh, suicide is a very serious thing. It's been escalating in the USA. Um, and we're going to talk a bit about some of those stats and news. But uh, I wanted to first begin with my first uh, experiences to suicide. And on the one hand, it's connected to music. And on the other hand, it's connected to, you know, very serious, dark time. Um, so first of all, I was in high school, huge Nirvana fan. For those of us that may have heard of Nirvana, they're probably like considered classic rock now by Gen Z or whatever it is that people are. Yeah. Uh, young people these days. Um, but Kurt, Kurt Cobain was a famous, you know, 90s grunge alternative rocker, the lead vocalist of Nirvana. And uh, I, I still remember the dates like 1967, he was born and committed suicide. Allegedly in 1994, uh, although allegedly. there are some cons conspiracy yeah. theories <laughs> with all that, but that's a different topic. Yeah. And uh, I remember that was the first time I like really felt, let's say, sadness over suicide because I loved mm. the band and couldn't understand as I was probably 10, I think, when this happened. Or, no, 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 I was 13, 12. So it was like seventh, eighth grade, you know, very vulnerable age, puberty. I remember that year I also just moved to a new town. So I was starting seventh grade as the new kid. And I remember walking into my first class, it was science class, and this uh, kid named Sean... Uh, who ended up being, you know, my friend later, but he's just kind of a clown. And as soon as I walked in, the first thing he said to me was like, I thought you were going to be black because your name's Kareem. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in that year, I remember like music was one of the ways that I, you know, soothed myself, right? I, it was the first, I, I was really into bands like Metallica and Aerosmith and Guns N' Roses and Nirvana and and uh, then you find out this news and it was just so devastating to me. Um, like there's no new music. I love this guy. Um, I even remember with my identity issues at the time being a minority, like I always wished I had rocker blonde hair like Kurt Cobain. And, and uh, it was just like, why would he do something like that? And the way he did it was very vicious, you know, shotgun blast to the head and um, of course, I didn't know all the details of like heroin addiction and other things that were going on for him. Um, but that was like my first exposure, like mm. where I felt suicide viscerally. Um, and it wasn't even someone I knew. It was just somebody I related to or connected to via the music. But then I remember senior year of high school. It was so sad, dude. A freshman committed suicide in my school because of bullying. And I remember me and a bunch of seniors always looking for a reason to not go to school. He had a funeral and we wanted to go pay our respects for real. Like, you know, so it was one of those times where we actually missed school for a good reason. And I remember going to this. Um, it was a Jewish family, I recall. And it was the first time I went to a Jewish funeral. Um, and it was just so sad, dude. Like the picture of the young boy and the parents and you know just the whole energy in the air and it's like it was so sad to hear that somebody in our school walk in our halls we never noticed decided to do something like this and what could bring him to something like this and by senior year I, I already knew I wanted to study psychology because I took uh, psychology as an elective junior year and I remember that I, this is what I want to study I like this subject a lot yeah and um, as a result of this unfortunate event, um, me and a bunch of friends met with the principal and we decided to go around to freshman, sophomore classes and do like a little presentation on suicide prevention and uh, talk about bullying and basically addressing those matters. So it was like one of the ways that I tried to take that energy and do something useful with it and, and give back. Um, then of course, because I loved Nirvana, there were times where I was depressed in high school and, you know, I had suicidations, never attempted it or anything like that, but I thought about it, right? Like, what would it be like to just turn the lights out and what would happen? And 
you know, you'd know everything, right? Like all the answers, right? Because everyone's just the mystery of what happens after death. Like nobody will know until you go to the other side. Um, and then bringing it way up to now, crazy thing that happened last year while I was here in Brazil is, and it was a really, really, again, depressing, traumatic experience. Um, I live in a closed, con you know, community condominium in Rio de Janeiro. And, uh, you know, the there's several buildings in our condominium and they have maybe 10 floors. So it's like pretty high up, right? Hmm. And last year, dude, an 18 year old girl living in my condominium, we didn't know her, jumped off the top and just landed. And it was just a horrific scene. And, and oh. people took pictures and sent it around on the WhatsApp. And you know, I saw this photo, dude, and it just like brought me to this really, I felt like just, just so, it was so dark for that week, man. Like it was just, you know, and I remember making sure like all my kids were praying with my wife and I, and we made dua for the family. And this young 18 year old girl who, when my wife showed me her Instagram, what you see on it is like parties, you know, guys, you know, living the life, 18 year old, you know, life is fun. Life is great. Like when you look at this Instagram page, you would never assume, right. Some that she was deeply perhaps depressed. Right. And, um, and she took this, you know, thing. And, and what's crazy is some people actually saw her jump and land who lived there and they were traumatized. And oh. so, you know, bringing it just kind of to some of these uh, incidents, um, around suicidality and uh you know how treacherous and dark it is and and it's such a sad thing that when you look at it even from a theological perspective i mean life is the most priceless gift any of us have um death is the only fact we all have and so to get to such a place where you no longer want to breathe um it's such an immense level of pain. And the crazy thing is, is whether it was the kid in high school who killed himself or this young girl, um, a lot of times people around them may not know or have a sense of what's going on. Um, it's usually very shocking for some people versus like, oh yeah, we expected that, right? You don't usually hear that, you know? Um, but yeah, I just wanted to start it off by sharing some of those stories around this very important topic. It's, uh, you know, this is the month where we should reflect on it. And uh, I know that there's some recent news also in the state of Texas where you're residing yeah. currently. Yeah. Um, also connected to the Muslim community, I believe there's uh, yes. uh, some news you'd like to tell us that um, just to as a reminder of how this is something, you know, we need to talk about, we need to take seriously, and we need to do our best to help each other, our community, um, to prevent this, of course. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So this, uh, so last week, um, a city here in Allen, Texas, there was a murder suicide that <laughs> took place. Now, just to give some backstory as to what the police are alleging as to why the murder suicide took place in the first at all was because, uh, this Muslim family, they had lost their child in a drowning accident earlier in the month of August, right? So detectives are alleging that the father just could not bring himself to accept what had happened to his daughter, right? I mean, you lose your daughter in a drowning accident, man. Like, how how do you, you can't prepare for that. Literally, you cannot, right? And so they're alleging that he had just lost control completely. He had killed his family and then he killed himself. He took his own life. Now, what's crazier about this story is that two years ago in the same city in Allen, Allen, Texas, there was a murder-suicide that took place with, and this is, an, again, involving a Muslim family, a murder-suicide that took place that involved a family of six where there were two brothers who had a severe case of depression. And... We only know about this because one of the brothers, uh, the younger brother, he had wrote a suicide manifesto and posted it online. And so him and his older brother, who were severely depressed, they had made a pact, which was if they were not better within a year, 
they were going to take the lives of their families and then take their own life. And subsequently, that's what happened, is that they took the life of their family and then they took their own lives. I remember going to that janazah, the one that happened two two years ago, the murder suicide no that happened two years ago. I went to that janazah and there has never been a more somber and more just heartbreaking janazah that I've ever attended in my life. And I don't think I'll, I'll ever attend one more heartbreaking than that one, you know, because you know, I get there and there's sort of this remembrance that's happening with with friends of the family, right? And these are non-Muslim friends. So the, there's, there's a remembrance happening. People are sort of going up with a microphone to talk about the family, talk about the, um, the children that, that were involved, who they were friends with. And there was a, there was a, there was a moment where and off to the side, the grandfather of the family came to the Janaza, right? Now this grandfather, he was, his wife was the grandmother that was involved of who, who she was part was of killed. the family. She was killed. Um, you know, so the so the grandfather's wife, his either daughter-in-law or son-in-law, I don't know how he was related to either of them, and all of his grandchildren gone. So he basically lost, I don't know if it's, if it's all the family he had here, but definitely his immediate family, lost his entire family. You see him come and come on, come to the, to, to the masjid, to the mosque, and he just broke down. He just absolutely broke down. And that was, you know, that was just like, wow, you know, like that was hard to see, man. And, you know, his, his, his relatives and like family friends were trying to comfort him, but it's hard, man. Like he's, he's, he's elderly and, and it's, it's just, it's not something that, you know, every generation has certain issues that they learn to to adapt to and, and learn how to sort of equip themselves to face, right? And we both know that our parents' generation, certainly not our grandparents' generation, they never had the tools to deal with mental health, right? They never had the tools to reconcile and how to deal with mental health struggles, anxiety, stress, whatever it may be. And, um, you know, when the actual janazah, the funeral prayer took place, this is still like COVID, right? COVID time. And so we had to do the janazah outside. And, mm -hmm. you know, there was like 100, 150 people that showed up, right, just for the janazah, for the funeral prayer. And I remember, you know, the the imam, he starts leading the prayer and then like, everyone's crying, man. Every single person is crying, you know, and um, it was just a very, very heartbreaking thing, uh, heartbreaking thing to uh, be a part of, because it was almost like, Everyone had this sense of like, I don't want to be here. Not in the sense of I don't want to support them, but in the sense of like. It's so heavy. It's so heavy. It's exactly. It's just so heavy, you know. Um, and uh, I remember we had we had a conversation two years ago about that first murder-suicide that took place. And um one of the things you said to me, and and I still remember it to this day because it was so profound, was that you had said that this was like a sign from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this was, and, and I, what you meant by that was like, this is a sign for our community to start waking up. Like this is a problem within our community. Suicide is a problem within our community. Mental health is a problem within our community. And if we don't address it, you know, things like- It's this a neglected matter. Yeah. It's a neglected matter. And I remember, man- about two weeks ago, so fast forward to, you know, present time, about two weeks ago, I was thinking about that uh, initial murder-suicide that took place two years ago. And I just thought to myself, like, you know, I felt that as a Muslim community, at least in the Dallas area, we haven't really done much to address or, 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 or continue to talk about this specific topic when it comes to suicide and to me i felt like you know we have to do something about this because my fear was like something like this could happen again man and then two weeks later I, my wife is the one that told me about it she was she was on her phone she told me that like hey this just happened like the and so How eerie. just so it's a very heavy topic man you know and and, and when you were talking about your sort of 
uh, first exposure to suicide, I uh, I try thinking about like my first exposure to it and my earliest memory, and I'm sure I have earlier memories, but the one that I can remember at this moment was, um, I believe I was in high school or middle school. And there was uh, this guy that I went to school with. I never really talked to him. I was just like Facebook friends with him. And, um, you know, his younger brother had committed suicide. He had just taken a bunch of like pills, like ibuprofen or Advil or something like that, Tylenol, whatever it is. And um, that's how he had committed suicide by doing by by doing that. So that was my first exposure. And I remember from what I can remember, but when I heard about that, to me, I was just like, it just felt so it was a strange feeling to think that, you know, a person couldn't, can just end their life. And, 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 and what I mean by that is just the thought of like, I've never actually even had never considered something like suicide as a, as a method of a person of wanting to end their life. Like I just never considered that up until that point in my life, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah. So for me, I was just like, taken aback by the incident like whoa like this is this is you know very tragic it's extremely tragic i mean in a lot of ways it's like the trophy of shaitan and the demonic energy because mm -hmm. you take the most priceless gift the most valuable reality right human life mm. life itself and you snuff it out you know um i mean i'm feeling depressed just thinking about it yeah yeah it's uh but um this this recent news about the kid the father so mm. there's no other details around like what the police found like there were no tests that they did autopsies like were like were was the family all shot like like the other family the one that happened two years ago or like how did they find this family that the mm. yeah like were they were they like how how do they know it was like um, the incident took place right yeah how how yeah, yeah what other details are there because it's they're saying it's mm. a suicide murder they're saying the story is the dad couldn't process the trauma of losing his baby girl which yeah again that's just so tragic um mm. so the way the the police found out about this incident was that there was a welfare worker who was going to this house of the muslim family uh and i don't really know how welfare works as far as like uh the worker showing up but i i believe it's like a perhaps collecting a payment or maybe the welfare worker giving some sort of payment, right? And from what I read was that they, this welfare worker was trying for a couple of hours to, to contact the family and this person had like no luck whatsoever, right? And so the person called the police and it's like, hey, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get this, uh, uh, you know, I'm a welfare worker, I'm here at this family's house. And then that's when the police showed up and that's when they discovered the bodies. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it could have been some kind of, I don't know, poison or it wasn't like he didn't shoot them, basically. Like the other. No, he did case. shoot them. He did shoot them. Oh, he did. So there was, yeah, yeah. there was uh, bullet wounds and so forth. Okay. Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. He shot his family, shot himself. Yeah. Just like the other family can't like again just like process that like you're so depressed and you have the drive to kill your own family and then kill yourself i think for me you know this is something that i wanted to even discuss with you as far as like empathy towards people who do something like this right something that warren farrell mentions in his book the boy crisis um and just generally when he talks about school shooters or mass shooters, right? One of the things he says, and I even wrote this down here, is that those people who leave hate groups like neo-Nazi groups or some sort of violent, hateful group, 
they will usually join this life after hate group, right? And these people, they begin to develop empathy to replace that hate they they once had, right? What Warren suggests, Dr. Warren Farrell, what he suggests is that perhaps we as individuals, we can learn to empathize towards the haters. When our only response to haters is to hate, we increase our brain's training to hate and decrease its training to empathize. We become a bit of the enemy we hate. And Mm -hmm. like, for example, when it comes to school shooters, usually our, well, I wouldn't even say usually, most of the time our response is just immediately, we hate this person. We immediately hate them, right? Which is valid to to feel that way. But what Warren is suggesting is perhaps maybe we should try and empathize towards them to see to see what the underlying reasons and motivations were for them to commit such an act, right? And when and on this sort of topic with the two fam- Muslim families, you know, discussing the two Muslim families, um, especially with the one that the one that took place two years ago, that that murder-suicide involving the family of six. I just could not hate those two brothers for the life of me. I couldn't hate them. I just felt... I just... I couldn't do... I couldn't have any other emotion except to empathize with them. I just simply couldn't. You know, I mean, there was just... There were such... Young men, they were 19 and 21. They were there. That's where their age is. 19 and 21, man, their life was just starting, you know? And I, I know for myself, I've been in extremely dark places in my life, man. Extremely, extremely dark places, like the darkest of dark. And for people who go beyond that, I don't, I, to even, to even think that people are able to go beyond that because of their circumstance and whatever is happening in their life, like, that that's something that is like, man, I, I I haven't experienced that, but I've experienced an ex- immense amount of 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 you know pain within me internally, and um, you know that's it's a scary place to be, man. It's a scary place because you don't know. You're just constantly doubting yourself. You have this like, you have this outlook of nothing is going to work out for me. You know, I'm just this like bottom of the dominance hierarchy barrel, right? Like that's just my situation. Yeah. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Like this, this idea of empathizing towards people who do something like this, right. Is. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I mean, I, that really resonates with me because there is of course a, I mean, anybody who is a victim of, let's say, school shooters or what have you, it's not easy for them to be empathetic with the murder of their child, let's say, right? Yes. But, you know, people on the outside, like, this is something that also came up for me. It's like, what was going on for this young person to to do this to themselves or to others? Um, And if we actually take that route of learning what happened to them, trying to empathize, recognize the importance of prevention or mental health education, or, you know, the importance of intimacy, relationships, compassion, um, that's of course going to help us decrease the likelihood of these things happening. Um, I mean, look at like Martin Luther King, like, He never taught his followers to be racist against the racism, which is follows that same principle, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, I've experienced racism, so I will become racist as a response. I've experienced bullying. I will, I'm abused. So I will become an abuser or a bully in in response. It's actually one of the defense mechanisms a human being can choose, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Or you can have sublimation, which is taking that evil energy in charge and trying to transfer it to the opposite effort to actually reduce that evil in the world, right? So you get robbed on your street walking home. Do you feel resentment and rob somebody to get back at, you know, I'm a victim now and I want justice and, you know, or do you create a neighborhood watch, you know, to ensure that security is increased in your neighborhood? Like that would be a healthy way to confront the evil. But that's, of course, much easier, I think, for people who aren't 
direct victims of it. But yes. I think in principle, it is, you know, a practical, wise way to do it. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's just, and it, it, what's also, you know, kind of irking me right now, to be honest, is I've always learned, I don't know if you've learned something similar, that um, in Islam, you don't pray Janazah for someone who committed suicide. Have you ever heard this? I don't think I've ever heard something like that before. Yeah, I, I've heard this before, honestly. And uh, But I'm not sure. If, maybe I'm mixing that up with something else. But I feel like that's something I came across. Mm. Um, because it's such a big sin or whatever. Is mm. like if, if, it, if, again, if you want to get technical, if it takes you into the realm of committing an act of kufr, just like you don't mm. pray janazah for a kafir. Yes. Right? Like, so if I'm Muslim, my dad's not Muslim and he dies, I can't go to an imam and say, I'd like to do janazah for him. Right. You know, that's that's not how it works. So I guess it's based on that uh, perspective that uh, I've come across. Um, but nonetheless, um, you know, the empathy aspect is always going to, it's the way of the prophets, you know, all of the prophets. Mm. Um, I mean, even you see this with the prophet Muhammad Sallallahu like, you know, he empathized with the communities that fought against him. Um, one case I can recall is, I forget the name of the city he was going to, but it's it's a well-known story where all the kids were throwing rocks at him and his sandals filled with blood because of... Ta'if, yeah. Ta'if, thank you. Yeah. And Jibreel, alayhi salam, came and was like, yo, I can flip this whole town over. Yeah. And the prophet empathized and, you know, said, you know, basically similar to what we hear in Christianity, like they know not what they do. And perhaps, you know, there will be some people in this community or those children will grow up differently. And so that's a type of empathy. You know, it's a type of compassion. It's a type of positive expectancy uh, in human nature, given the right guidance, education, reminder, love, support, uh, and all of this certainly applies to such a thing as suicide mm. Mm. the islamic approach um that's something that i've always sort of questioned not necessarily questioned as in doubt but sort of not something that i have had any sort of um answer to to my question about an islamic response to it and what i mean by that is you know when something like this happens in the muslim community like a murder suicide because it's such a you know, it's such a thing that's uncommon within the community that when it happens, it just takes everyone back, right? Obviously, there are people in the community like myself who do feel helpless when stuff, stuff like this happens, right? We, we feel like there's nothing we can do. Um, and I guess my question is like, is there ever, is it inappropriate to think that there's not a solution to the suicide problem. Well, why would we have suicide prevention month, right? It's that's the very aim of what you're saying. Um, and I don't think we're helpless. I mean, we're doing something right now, just by talking about it, sharing our feelings, um, making sure people think about it. You know, if anyone listens or watches this. Mm. Uh, and so I think Look, helplessness is connected to despair. And despair is the ultimate emotion that, let's say, the demonic sphere wants the human being to internalize. And so that's not um, that's not a win we want to give out, give away so easily, right? To to that energy. And so, you know, for example, like you're in Texas. This could be something you could do something about. Like mm -hmm find a group of people who have the same value or principle of, you know, we want to dedicate our time volunteer by, you know, giving a workshop once a month or once every two months or whatever to Masajid where youth families can learn, reflect on mental health, on depression, on signs of withdrawal, you know, and just help people become more attentive to these things. 
or in a case where you go through a major traumatic experience, God forbid, like losing a child or a loved one, making sure there's resources, social support for these things. And, and this is part of something that's ongoing in our community anyways, right? It's just another reminder, hence why it's a sign from Allah, right? Mm. When I said that two years ago with this incident yeah. of like, it's it's a reminder for us for Allah to say, look, look what happened. You know, at least my interpretation is like, look what happened. Mm. What does it mean? And what can we do about it? Mm. Because mm. Allah created us to see which of you will have the most excellent or best of responses to the trials, tribulations, to the evil that's inflicted upon you or in your community, right? Because any person of faith recognizes it's an individual journey and a collective journey. You know, I need to be, support my community, my, my uh, of faith, as well as my own soul. And we're all in it together, yep. right? Yep. And so from that sense, I think... Um, recognition of being helpless or accepting that as my reality will lead to things like that despair or depression. And um, I think that's contrary to what people of faith, people of rationale, people of mental health, um, advocates and so forth are, uh, that's not the energy or the you know force that they are meant to bring in the world. And so there are things we can do about it. I mean, even just making sure you, like next time you see a, a young boy at, you know, your local halakha that uh, used to, you know, is usually very, you know, smiling and looking nice and you pick up on him just seeming kind of low, just like checking in with him, giving him attention, talking to him, making sure he is known and seen by you. Um, even statistically, they show that people who call suicide hotlines when they're feeling like this, just by, that's the whole point, right? It's like, I don't know this person. They're on the phone trying to give me validation, attention, approval, even affection. And it actually can help people, right? Not feel hopeless and helpless. Hmm. That's why they exist. They're 24 seven and there's people out there devoted to that, right? And Isolation is one of the big factors of increasing the likelihood of something like this. Mm. Um, I think even when I was reviewing on uh, some of the stats, you know, COVID suicidality increased because there was a lot more isolation for people, mm. right? And so yeah. if you were already depressed or suicidal or struggling and now you're locked in the house for two years, like that's not a, it's not a good recipe. No, right. no. Yeah. And when you mentioned isolation, immediately I thought to sort of how our society and culture operates. And oftentimes we're just so we've adapted to the fact that people are, people will just <clears throat> spend all day home. They'll just sit in front of their computer all day home. They'll sit in front of the TV, watching Netflix, be by themselves and just, not go outside to just ex experience the world around you, like basking in the sunlight, you know, just being outside, feeling the cool breeze, you know, upon you, right? Which makes a huge difference on a on person's mental health, you know, being in your room all day with the lights, you know, closed, curtains closed, and just sitting in front of a screen. Yeah, you know, you're, that that's probably going to mess up some some chemicals within your brain, and you're going to be depleted within certain, you know, levels of chemical in your in your mind right and so just the simple fact of going outside you know 10 minutes a day for for a walk does wonders for you and will do wonders for you long term you know in your life or just exercise things like exercise right getting the the body to move right um one other question that i had for you so you know, you said you wanted to study psychology, like you knew by the time you were a senior in high school, you wanted to study psychology. What sort of coursework or let's say research do you, did you guys have to go through as far as when it comes to suicide? Like, did you guys have to learn about or study, you know, the, the reasons why a person may commit suicide? And for example, like why, let's say a man commits suicide versus 
why a woman would commit suicide, like differences by, by, by gender. And then also differences by ages as well. Yeah. I mean, when I studied, uh, we didn't, I didn't have like a focus on that, it, you know, but there was of course, kind of general overview. Cause when you do at least your bachelor's in psychology, you will cover the different aspects, right? Like social and abnormal psychology and clinical psychology, neurobiological. Um, so it is something, of course, you come across, right? Connected to depression, um, because self-harm is one of the things that you are supposed to be aware of, right? As a mental health provider or a clinician, um, you know, you can't not report that uh, if you're practicing under license, right? To uh, that somebody is saying like, I'm gonna like I'm gonna kill myself tonight like you actually are, have a responsibility now right so of course when it, it depends on how what you know area of psychology especially if you're going to be licensed clinician you're going to have to um, be more mindful of these be more trained and aware of these things and have certain protocols you know with social work and, and so forth and um, but you know, common reasons, I mean, we know statistically men are more likely or the numbers are just higher for men to do it. Um, why is that the case? It's a good question. Um, maybe because men have a harder time being emotionally vulnerable in general. Um, men have a harder time, especially in our age, maybe to bond with others. Uh, whereas females typically have uh, a greater capacity for EQ and socializing and bonding and harnessing social support. That could be one reason. Mm -hmm. um, men generally can also be more risky in their activities and things that they do. Mm -hmm. um, and so we also have a higher likelihood of dying from accidents or, you know, things like this. Or work. Um, or work, right? Because yeah. we have more statistically we have a lot more difficult challenging jobs like not too many women work on oil rinks yeah the hazardous sewages stuff. the, the hazardous minor. jobs yeah 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 they just it's not it's not uh um distributed in that sense um but i think a big i mean that look there's always those common things that humans need right we all need attention affection approval validation a sense of belonging and purpose um and I would also add, I think maybe for men, because so much of our purpose and mission in life hmm. has to do with uh, providing or working, um, you know, a, a person who's struggling with those things in their life as a man, um, it could increase the likelihood of their depression and suicidality over time because of the uh, circumstances they're in, right? Like yeah. if you... You know, a guy who doesn't have a job for five years, but has a family he has to provide for, it's going to be a lot more difficult for him than a woman who doesn't have a job, but is married to a man who does, mm. but she's also depressed, right? Mm. Um, because it's it plays a different impact on our psychological uh, expectation, let's say. Um, so yeah, those are just some of my thoughts uh, around yeah. that. Well, definitely when it comes to the suicide rate between men and women, there is a pretty stark difference, right? So in uh, 2009, uh, the CDC, and then later in 2010, the uh, web-based injury statistics query and reporting system, uh, both of these studies concluded that when you, when you look at the suicide rates between age and gender, right, boys and girls, up until puberty, boys and girls are committing suicide at roughly the same rate, right? Really? Wow. Which is really, which is about like up until like nine years old-ish, right? So roughly before puberty. And then between the ages of 10 to 14, boys are committing suicide at twice the rate compared to girls. From 15 to 19, boys are committing suicide three to four times at the rate of girls. And then from 20 to 24, boys are committing suicide at five to six times the rate compared to girls. Um, wow. Now, there was a website, Statista, that had uh, pulled some data, I believe it was from 2021 or 2022. And uh, they continued to look at the suicide rate 
by age and gender. Now, they sort of grouped together ages, so they continued on from 25 to 44, which I think they should have just made it in smaller blocks. But even when you continue looking at the suicide rate as the ages go on by gender as well, you find that still men are committing suicide at a higher rate than women. So, you know, if you, if you look at from 25 years old to 44 years old, it's like, it's still like twice the, twice the rate. Right. And then like 45 years old to, uh, 63, that's like almost two and a half times the rate. And then 65 years and up, that's actually surprisingly when men are most vulnerable to committing suicide. And that's where you see a decrease in women committing suicide, which is interesting. So that's when men are most vulnerable at, at the, when it comes to suicide. So there is definitely a difference when it comes to the suicide rates between men and women. Generally speaking, if you took all the suicide rates comparing men and women, right now men are committing suicide rate at a, at a rate of 3.9 times more than, than women, than their counterparts. Yeah. Wow. And it is, it is a, um, obviously there are multiple variables when it comes to why somebody would want to take their life. Specifically with men though, you do have this problem that men run into, especially a father, right? And Warren Farrell, he talks about this in the boy crisis. He calls it the father's catch 22, which is mm -hmm. loving your family by being away from the love of your family because of work. Right. Yeah. And so oftentimes, you know, men feel trapped, especially when you look at the older generation, they feel trapped that my life purpose was to provide for my family. If I'm not providing, therefore, I'm not fulfilling my purpose. And so yeah. that's one of the reasons why, you know, a man might decide to take his life is because he feels that he is not providing valuable. the way he should be for his family. He's not valuable. In fact, if he's unemployed, it's it's a it's a more difficult circumstance for him because unemployed men are twice as likely to commit suicide compared to employed men, right? And then that, of course, the rate changes when you look at actual professions itself too, right? Like doctors or accountants. accountants. Um, so that plays a big factor too, you know, emotional intelligence. You know, if we, if we, we all, I think we all collectively agree that, you know, boys, boys should take on the characteristic and the trait of emotional intelligence, right? And I think as a Muslim community, we've done a really good job of helping men adapt that trait of adapting, adapting this characteristic, right? Emotional intelligence. But when it comes to adapting emotional intelligence, it's like there has to be outlets for us to be able to know how to do that. You know, seldom are we going to learn that from our parents. It's just the reality, right? So, you know, a, a, a young man learning emotional intelligence is probably not going to learn from his parents. He's probably gonna, not going to learn from his peers either. Um, it, it, maybe not even a teacher, right? If anything, he'll have to go out and find it himself, right? Find ways to learn emotional intelligence, what that means, right? And um, I think for anyone who's listening to this, who's a parent, one of the pieces of advice that Dr. Warren Farrell mentions in his book here, The Boy Crisis, is that the best way to teach your son emotional intelligence is family dinner nights. Mm -hmm. And what that means is you don't want to turn family dinner nights into family dinner nightmares, as he says, right? <laughs> so... You know, you want to keep these family dinner nights as a way to have discussions and conversations about your son, like asking him open-ended questions as opposed to forcing him to answer like yes or no, like asking him open-ended questions like what career paths interest you, right? You know, what major do you want to study when you go to university, right? Like what are your thoughts on, you know if you ever wanted to be, I don't know, like a part-time dad and then working part-time as, as well, right? Being a part-time father and working part-time, like just asking your son these open-ended questions, help him develop that emotional intelligence. That's a really good point. And uh, it's something I definitely would 
you know, affirm here that having quality family time is so crucial to bonding and emotional health. And for those of us who don't know, the difference between an open question and a closed question is that a closed question is typically prompts a one word or short answer, right? Like, mm-hmm. how was your how was your day? Good. How Good. was school? Mm-hmm. Fine. Yeah. Right. An open question forces you to answer beyond that, you know, and expand. Like, tell me what happened at school today. Mm-hmm. Right. You can't just say good or fine. Right. Um, what do you do for work? I'm a, you know, construction worker versus tell me how you got into your current career. Mm-hmm. It makes you have to talk a bit more about yourself. And mm-hmm. when I can share more about myself or more information, there's more that one can relate to and build off of, right? And so it's kind of like expanding this thing out, right? The conversation mm-hmm. out. So that's really good advice, you know? And um, like that could be like, for example, a simple thing to remind families, you know, or anybody, right? That you should try to share food and meals with people without screens and talk and mm. practice open questions and feel bonding, you know, with others. Um, because one of the most successful reasons why somebody has happiness, fulfillment, um, in life is because of healthy social support systems, right? Mm. Um, it's one of the ways that humans can develop resilience and get through trauma, depression, low points. It's, it's through people. Okay. It's not being in isolation and watching a bunch of YouTube videos on how to Mm. be happy. Right. It's, it's, you know, it's about getting out there and connecting with people and experiencing yourself through the eyes of others. Uh, so this is a very, very important tool for all of us to implement in our lives, inshallah. Inshallah. There was a, there's actually an excerpt here from uh, The Boy Crisis. I was trying to find it here. And, um, you know, just because we're on the topic of, you know, how sometimes how men will, you know, the fact that right now men are committing suicide at a higher rate, right? And sort of discussing the potential reasons as to why a man would commit suicide, whether it's like a purpose void, right? Or maybe you're not having any fulfillment in your life, right? Uh, One of the things that Dr. Warren Farrell mentions here is that um, he talks about a story where uh, there was a soldier who was on tour and came back from Afghanistan. And um, I'll just read it here, what it says. He says that in 2016, Brad returned from his third tour of duty in Afghanistan with a reasonable amount of economic security. But he felt like a stranger to both his wife and himself and quickly alienated his children with his temper. His PTSD and the tension at home left him feeling like a burden. One day, after losing his temper again, Brad bought his wife her favorite flowers and their children their newest, the newest PlayStation, gave his wife and kids especially long and loving hugs and kisses, and took out the older of the family cars. He said he was going shopping. Instead, he sped quickly down a curved road and, quote, skidded off a cliff. Oh, man. Brad's wife, looking back, she knew that he had committed suicide because she had said that after Brad would lose it, after he'd go, he'd have that, those, temper, uh, that, those, those temper moments or incidents, He'd always say that he's worth more as an insurance policy than a husband and a and a dad. Wow. Next podcast, I want to talk about the boy crisis because um, yeah. I'm familiar with Farrell's work. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, we should try to reach out to him see if we can see if he Have would come on. and talk to yeah, us. That yeah, would be you awesome. want, you want to would. try that? Yeah, Let's for sure. I think that would be a. That'd be awesome to have him on. Yeah, this. Uh, so I mean, even just reading about it in the book, <clears throat> because Dr. Warren Farrell does discuss, you know, things like suicide uh, among men and the suicide rates uh, among men and boys. And because uh, he has a whole, you know, chapter dedicated to the mental health struggles, struggles rather coming uh, that is that young boys are dealing with, right? The, the crisis that boys are dealing with. And um, yeah, when you, 
I mean, you know, it's it's so multifaceted, man. Like, really, it's so multifaceted when it comes to something like suicide. And, you know, you, you don't want to burden people by talking to them about it because you feel like, you know, you know, you're again, you're just burdening them. So you just you keep it in within yourself. And then then you start thinking to yourself that, oh, you know what, like, no, no one's listening to me or no one has the time for me. Right. So you just continue to sort of, it's like you're branching off each thought until it becomes darker and darker. Right. I know this is something Jordan Peterson mentioned once when it, when it comes to sort of these, uh, you know, thoughts, right. That you, you start with one thought here. Right. And then it branches off to like, you know, I don't want to burden people. I don't, why do I not want to burden people? Because, you know, I'm feeling this way. Why am I feeling this way? Oh, because I'm worthless. Oh, also because this other thing happened last week, which makes me feel even worse. So you just keep branching off and off until you get to a point where you're just like in the thick of it, you know, in, 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 yeah. in the black hole of, 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 um, you know, suicidality. Yeah. There are a lot of factors. I mean, if it's not, very sim uh it's not a simple thing but right. i feel like as far as like kind of closing tips for me um efforts of bonding with others establishing intimacy in relationships with your family with your friends um quality time these things improve you know the likelihood of healthy mental health mm. uh or mindset you know feeling that bond Second is, of course, people who don't have a type of purpose or mission or way to contribute value to the world that also affects us deeply. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, looking for this, finding this or trying this uh, mission is very important as well. You know, like, what is my purpose? What am I? And, and the best way to kind of start with that is what am I good at, right? Um, yeah. And you can think about when you were a kid, there's always things that you were more inclined to do. It excited you and you were good at it, you know? Mm. Um, I always enjoyed talking with people. Uh, you know, I was the kid, a toddler on the airplane who would talk to the random couple behind us mm. and become their friend. And, you know, that was me, dude. Like I was a sociable person. Um, I like to teach, you know, since I was a kid, I played teacher with my little sister and brother, right? And so education, that was like something I found inclination towards, music. Uh, so having that purpose, that mission and sense of value contribution is another important thing that people should nourish in themselves. Um, third is, and this is connected, I think, because of our age with social media, um, I mean, in the field of psychology, we are understanding more and more that, and this is also something you find in religion. Um, so, for example, like part of the sunna to purify diseases of the heart, to increase happiness, fulfillment, and so forth, is, that, is to do something called khidma, which means to be in service of others. Mm -hmm. And when I am spending, you know, you can, and this is something you I learn a lot, of course, when I work with people in cognitive behavioral therapy and, and understanding people's inner script, you know, we all talk to ourselves. We all think about ourselves. That's natural. But those of us who do that to a pathological level, like mm. I'm always thinking about myself. I'm always worried about how other people are seeing me or what they, what, if I do this, what are they going to think? Or if I sit like this or say that, or I don't say this, or what right. should I do? Those people are the ones who are high anxiety insecurity and can increase the likelihood of depression now now we have this culture of i'm constantly comparing myself looking for likes mm. looking for validation through social media while i'm competing with billions of other people there's it's very hard to feel good about yourself because you're always thinking about yourself through social media and how i compare and compete with others and are people responding? Are they liking me? And so on, right? Right, right. Whereas when you're focused on other people, you actually feel happier, less anxiety, more secure, and you're more effective, more contribute, more value, right? And this is why when you go on a Saturday to feed the hungry, 
And you're not thinking about, you know, what you're going to eat on Saturday and what you're going to watch and what you're going to do, but you're actually thinking and empathizing, going to our earlier point, you're practicing practical empathy because you're feeling for others who don't have the same resources or the same um, opportunities or life as you, and you're trying to go and do something about it. Hmm. And so that third reminder is, you know, the more we're obsessed with ourselves and thinking about ourselves, you know, and we increase our anxiety and we can increase our depression. Whereas if I focus my energy on others and you can practice this in a very simple social setting, right? Like we've all been there. We go to a new space. There's a bunch of people we don't know. If the whole time I'm preoccupied with what do I do? Who do I talk to? Where do I stand? Should I say anything? These guys look nice. Should I go say hello and try to get in the conversation? I'm actually giving off the energy and my nonverbal communication and I'm feeling the anxiety, the sadness, the lack of confidence, all that stuff versus just try, you know, focusing on the other people rather than myself. It actually makes you more able to socialize, to connect and um, and people to also feel comfortable around you. Right. Versus like the awkward dude who's like, you know, just twitching and standing in the circle. Right. But doesn't know what to do with themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those are some reminders. And of course, anybody who's, you know, ever thought or uh, ever anyone who's feeling depressed or thinking about suicide, you know, there's a number of resources that I strongly encourage you to use and specifically i'm not talking about going to read articles i'm saying call these hotlines yes these support systems are out there they're 24 7 you someone will answer and someone will be there for you mm. uh, and that's something that any of us can do and you should do it there's no judgment there's nothing to feel bad or silly about it could help you in ways you didn't imagine and so anybody feeling this way should take these opportunities seriously and inshallah harness suicide prevention hotlines because that's why they're there inshallah inshallah i think the last uh things i wanted to say about this just to sort of piggyback on your piece of advice um so number one i would say is that again you know focus on your hope purpose that mission that you have in your life right uh for religious people like ourselves, people who follow a faith, um, we do have that, uh, we do have that blessing of that the purpose is already here. But what we struggle with is like finding that mission, that thing that we're good at, right, which essentially is what purpose is for people who are not religious, right, finding their purpose. For us, it would be finding our mission, right. So sort of like what you mentioned, you know, focus on that thing that you're good at, right? And even if it's not going to make you any sort of stream of income, whatever it may be, you know, to find a way to do it, whether it's, if you can't do it every day, maybe a few times a week, maybe if it's once a week, but that thing that gives you that glint in your eyes, you know, find that thing, right? Um, the second thing I would say is keep a journal and write in that journal, you know, that, journaling your thoughts is one of the best ways to really ground yourself. And in my experience, it's been an excellent way to overcome stress and anxiety. It's almost an instant way to overcome stress and anxiety, right? Uh, you know, um, Anne Frank, she has a quote, she says that paper is more patient than people, right? So write in that journal. I mean, if, if you're writing several pages all in one sitting do that you know and and keep that journal with you have it on you at all times if possible um the third thing i would say is get your body moving you know do some form of exercise with your body and it doesn't have to be super intense you know i'm not saying i'm not making an announcement that i want everyone to start running marathons no i mean a simple short 15 minute run a few times a week going outside to walk 10 minutes a day, these sort of simple ways to get that body moving, you know, release that, you know, release that dopamine, any other chemical in your brain that allows that sort of state within your mind to, 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 to feel that, you know, I'm doing something with my body, my body feels alive, I feel alive, right. And which ties in with that fourth point I wanted to make is just 
eat more healthy foods, you know, try and cut out Mm -hmm. junk foods. You know, I'm not saying go completely cold turkey, never eat a piece of junk food or drink, you know, some sort of sodas ever again. What I'm saying is just cut it down, right? And I would say particularly avoid it at night because, you know, consuming junk food that late, you short, you quite literally will become a couch potato and you just feel awful in the morning. Um, And so cut down on the junk foods, increase, you know, the amount of healthy foods you're eating, cut down on sugars, carbs, whatever it may be. Um, And then my last thing I would say here is just, you know, you know, just know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees your struggle. He knows your struggle more than anyone else. And that he will always, always be there for you to turn to him. He will never, ever turn away from you. He will never get tired of hearing you complain to him. Like people will become tired of hearing complaints to us. He will continue to be there. He's closer to us than our jugular vein. He loves us more than our mother's. And that he, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most merciful. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Noman, for your presence today. And I uh, look forward to our next meeting. Coffee Recording Podcast.